Today, all around the world, the Christian church comes together to remember the day of our Lord and Savior's crucifixion. It is that which we desire to do this evening also. And we begin our remembrance of that day by beginning in John's Gospel, chapter 19. And after these things, in verse 28, and after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, and said to fulfill the Scriptures, I thirst. A jar of full of sour wine stood there, so they put it on a sponge full of that sour wine and hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said... It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Those three words. For many Christians I know can recite those three words. That those three words just prior to Christ giving up his spirit, giving up his, his life for you and I, those three words mean so much to us tonight. It is those three words that I want to truly ingrain in your understanding the meaning thereof. What did Jesus mean when he said, it is finished? Let's say it. It is what? Finished. finished. What's finished? That's the question. That's the question that we are faced with on this day. For the crucifixion to make any sense to you and I who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have to understand what Jesus completed at that moment on the cross before he gave up his life. The title of my message this evening is Ransomed. For it is in the Gospel of Mark that we are given the identity of this mission in which Jesus was sent to fulfill. And for you and I, we will now take a look at what that mission was by looking at Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. This is the purpose in which He came, to ransom many. And in this, he identifies that he has not come to be served by you and I at that moment, but to serve us. And he identifies himself with a title that would have opened the eyes of every Jewish listener that was there in his presence. It would have perked up their ears because he said, for the Son of Man came identifying himself as the Son of Man, that one spoken of the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7, speaking of God himself. The Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve. And the manner in which he was to serve us was to give his life a ransom for many by taking us into the Old Testament as Jesus has by calling himself the Son of Man, he introduces himself and identifies himself by a title. And the titles that individuals carried at that time revealed who they truly were often in the narrative in which they occupied. 
And as we look at the Son of Man, we discover that this is only one of 75 different titles that Jesus Christ carried and was called. As we find ourselves moving through the Old and New Testament, we remember that day of His crucifixion. And on that cross, He was our advocate. He was the Almighty. He was the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He was the great Amen. He was the author and the finisher of our faith. He was the author of eternal salvation. He was the beloved Son, the bread of life, the captain of our salvation. He was the chief shepherd, the Christ of God, the cornerstone which the builders refused. He was our wonderful counselor. He was the creator of all things. He was the day spring of life, the deliverer of all, the door, the everlasting father and the faithful witness, the first, the last, the glory of the Lord, the good shepherd, the great high priest, the head of the church, the head of all things, the holy child, the holy one of God, the holy one of Israel, the horn of salvation, the great I am, the image of God, the Emmanuel, Jehovah, the King of all ages, the King of the Jews, and the King of kings, the King of saints, the Lamb of God, the leader and the commander of the army of the Lord, the life, the light of the world, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord of all, and yet the titles do not cease. He was the Lord of glory. He was the Lord of lords. He was the Lord of righteousness. I wish I could tell you about him. He was the man of sorrows. He was a mediator of all. He was the Messiah, the mighty God, the mighty one, the morning star, the only begotten of the Father. He is our Passover, our Prince of life, Prince of kings, Prince of peace, Redeemer, resurrection and the life. He is the rock, the root of David, the rose of Sharon, the Savior of the world, the Son of David, the Son of God, the Son of the Highest, the Son of Righteousness, as Malachi called Him. The true light, the true vine, the truth, the witness, the Word, and the Word of God itself. And you and I consolidate that all in five little letters. Jesus, God of all. Those are the titles in which he carried, in which he identified himself with. It was him who went to this cross on our behalf. It was God Almighty, the Christ himself, the anointed one, the truth, the way, the life. It was him, the perfect image of love, the perfect image of grace, the perfect image of mercy. For this is our God who died for us on that day and was crucified between between two thieves. And he said to those disciples around him at that moment, it is I, the Son of Man. And that title again encapsulating all of those that we just recited. And as he hung there on the cross, 
And as he lifted his head one last time to the Father and proclaimed, it is finished, the mission in which he came to fulfill, the ransom that was paid for many had now been satisfied. But before we talk about that ransom, let us know that this great King of kings and Lord of lords did not come to be served, but to serve. And it means that He did not come so that we may serve Him in mere menial and humble tasks, but He came to serve, that is to minister to the greatest needs in which we have. He identified those needs and He served those needs. And the greatest need that we had was that ransom. That ransom for many. But He did not come to be served. He came to serve. Let me help you illustrate that analogy for you. Imagine yourself in a restaurant, if you will, right now at this moment. Let me ask you a question. In this restaurant, did you see yourself sitting or did you see yourself serving? Christ purposed Himself to come and to serve us and He did so by the ransom in which He gave on our behalf. As William MacDonald said, the Son of Man is the perfect example of lowly service. He came into the world not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. The whole purpose of the incarnation, that is His coming, can be summed up in two words, serve and give. It is amazing to think that the exalted humble Lord humbled Himself from the point of the major to the cross. His greatness was manifested in the depth of His humility. When Paul reflected on this reality and he wrote to the Philippian church, he asked them to have this mind among yourselves, that which is in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God and did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, I should say, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He did not come to be served, but to serve you and I. And as we imagine Him there on the cross at that moment, and those words are being shouted from that position of anguish, let us understand He was serving us at that moment, okay? This wasn't for Him. This was for you and for I. It was for us that he did what he did on the cross that day. And when they heard those words, instead of falling in gratitude, they mocked him. They scorned him. They laughed at him. Uh, They belittled him by casting lots for his clothes 
as the centurion stood there watching with bated breath as the centurion of Rome must have kept his eyes appealed on Christ because of the fact that he needed to record the moment of Jesus' death. His eyes could not depart from him who was hanging on that cross. And while all scoffed and laughed and mocked Christ who were around him and jeered him, in the midst of it all, his mother came forward embraced by one of his disciples named John, accompanied with another woman named Mary. And before dying, Jesus took another moment in time to take care of his mother and release her to the care of his disciple John. And the howls continued and the jeering continued. If you can save others, save now yourself, they said. Come down off the cross. But see, he wasn't up there for himself. He was up there for you and I. It wasn't a penalty that he was paying on his behalf. It was a penalty that he was paying on our behalf. A ransom that he was paying on our behalf that kept him there. And it was not mere obligation that held him to that cross, but a deep love for you and I that we can't even comprehend. As John summed it up in his gospel, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever shall believe in him shall not die, but have everlasting life. I wonder if John came to that conclusion as he stood there at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother Mary. Maybe at that moment, John was standing there before the cross, seeing the blood of the Savior drip and pour out of him. Each moment his life was passing by, And yet he still heard Christ forgive them all. He took care of his mother. He he called out and asked why the father had turned from him at that moment. Darkness covered the earth at that time. As judgment was being poured out upon him on our behalf. This is the great I am. This is the Jehovah. This is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And as they hung that sign on the top of the cross identifying his crime, it said, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What an incredible moment that must have been. And at that moment, he was serving us. Let us remember that. At that moment, he was fulfilling the mission in which he came to fulfill. He served us in such a manner that we can only fall in the position of gratitude before him for all that he endured on my behalf and on yours. That's Christ. That's Jesus. And this ransom that he paid was a ransom that you and I could never afford. We had no hopes of ever fulfilling it. We had a debt owed unto God that we could not pay in and of ourselves. And because of that, we were separated from God for all eternity. When you think of ransom, you think of one who has been kidnapped. And you wait for one to call and give a ransom demand. 
And at that moment, you ask for proof of life. And you inquire, are they still alive? And as Jesus hung there on the cross as our ransom, he was paying a price to God the Father on our behalf. What individuals don't understand today, the reality of the matter is this. Apart from Christ, you are under an umbrella of judgment and wrath that is to come. Because our sin has separated us from a holy God. And you may debate with yourself whether or not you are a sinner, but in God's eyes, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have lied. We all have hated. We all have um, used the Lord's name in vain. We have done things that have offended our God. And we have done things that have offended our Creator. And that offense is something that you and I could never overcome in and of ourselves. So God began to give shadows and types of different um, methodologies in which the sin of man could be covered. And as the Jewish people grew accustomed to taking animals to be sacrificed and slaughtered on their behalf, they understood that it was only through the remission of blood that sin could be cleansed. It was only through the death of another substitutionary animal that the sins could be covered. And God said that I am now going to make my son the ultimate lamb sacrifice. As John the Baptist, when he first saw him, said, Behold the Lamb of God. God himself came down and he gave himself a ransom for many. He paid the penalty for our sin in and of himself. See, he was perfect. And as the gospel writers record the life of Jesus Christ, that perfection is displayed for us openly. He did not die on behalf of himself, for when he stood before Pilate, even Pilate could not find a reason to accuse him. But the religious leaders of that time did not want any reason to excuse him. And so they sentenced him to death. And that death, that ransom in which he paid was on our behalf. That's what Christ has done. For each person under the weight and the wrath of God finds themselves in bondage to sin and to death. People today, apart from Christ, believe that they are living. I will say to you that the life that you think that you are living, I argue you are merely existing. For true life cannot be understood and seen and experienced apart from a relationship with Christ. You are not enjoying this world to its fullest. You're not understanding all that God has. You're not understanding what this world is truly all about. Yes, you, get, you may have moments of happiness. You may have moments of joy. You may have moments of peace. But all of that in the temporary form in which it may be found at individual moments of a person's life can be exchanged for the permanent peace, the permanent joy, the permanent love, 
the permanent grace of God. That's what Christ has come to do. Of one from an individual, they are not living, they're merely existing. Living for themselves because they are in bondage to sin. Sin is destroying people's lives. One out of one person dies because of sin. Whatever the methodology may be of the destruction of the flesh, the reason we die is because of sin. And God says, why die when you can live? Why die when you can have eternal life in my son? Why die when you can have life and that more abundantly in me? That's the question God asks. That's the question that is proclaimed from this cross. That bondage that we are in to sin and death can only be released by a ransom paid to God. And we can't pay it in our imperfection. And animals can merely cover it for a moment, but the moment we sin again, we have to cover it again. So Christ came once and for all to cover and to permanently wash away our sins in Him. And now we can live free from our sin, free from our bondage, free from death. And then even though Christ tells us that though we may die here, we are to live again. It's merely falling asleep, closing our eyes here and opening them in an eternity spent with him in heaven. For the believer in Jesus Christ, this world is the worst that it's ever going to get. It's only going to get better. But for the one who is apart from Christ, this world is the best that it's ever going to be. It's only going to get worse. And this is the reality of the cross. That's the reality of this day. And that image of kidnapping shows and demonstrates for you and I this ransom, this price of release. That's what it means. A price of release gives us that image of one who is being held captive by sin and by death. And what is that ransom for and who is it to? For Paul writes about this in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption, there is a purchased um, word that is used there, one that has been bought back that is in Christ. You have been redeemed in Him. For whom God put forward as a, here's a big word, propitiation. Another word that gives us the implication that Christ paid for something on our behalf that we could not pay on our own. And how did he pay it? Look what he says, by his blood, to be received simply by faith. This, is, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Though we were born separated from God, destined for an eternity without him, Christ made it possible again for us to be whole as individuals. A person who is truly whole is a person who is in a right relationship with God. To this day, when psychiatrists and psychologists talk to individuals who come in and share their concerns, their personal problems, etc., 
The phrase is often used, I feel lonely, I feel guilty, I feel empty. No matter what I do, no matter how much I make, no matter what relationship I find myself within, I am still lonely, I am still empty, I still feel guilty. Those are the echoes of the individual's conscience, not before themselves, but before God. For they are separated from God in the ultimate relationship in which they are meant to occupy. They're guilty before Him because of their sin. And they're empty before Him because of the vacuum that remains after the separation has occurred between them and God. Only God can satisfy and create a wholeness within a person once again. And that is only met through the person of Christ. That's what he reestablished. The Bible calls it reconciliation. Bringing two back that were at enmity with one another. That's what Christ has done. And he has made it possible because he's paid for that by his blood. And indicate that that payment had been received by saying it is finished. As Paul went on in Romans, Romans 5, 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. He then goes on in Romans six twenty to 23. For when we were slaves of sin, you were, in, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things in which you are now ashamed. For the end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, that is, a newness of life, that is, a uh, returning you to your original state, the created state, the state that God intended you. And its end, that is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 700 years earlier, Isaiah cried, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. As Isaiah promised earlier on at that moment that God would send himself, God would send his son to pay a price on our behalf to ransom us back to God the Father. Who is this for? Now the word many there may confuse you, but for the writer of for the writer, Mark is saying it's for all. All who will come. It's an open invitation. As John saying, whomsoever shall come. For this many, it's talked about in Romans 5, 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, that is Adam, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Paul followed up on this in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. For there is one God 
And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. As one wrote, he said, the climax of the service was his death as a ransom for many. He did this voluntarily, sacrificially, vicariously, and obediently for you and I. I don't care who you are today. Unless you are in Christ, unless you are a believer in Jesus Christ, unless you are a follower of Christ, there is no other way to God. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said that because of what he did on this day. He ransomed us back to the Father through his own personal sacrifice. Now all we have to do is accept that action, accept that ransom by faith. We need to repent of our sins, that means to turn from them, and to believe on to Jesus Christ for our eternal salvation. Now many people think they're going to get to heaven simply by being a good person. If that's the case, this day wasn't necessary. Many people think that just by going to church occasionally or by reading the Bible occasionally or praying occasionally or wearing a cross around their neck or having a Christian tattoo on their body that they're right with God. I say to you, unless you are right with Christ, you cannot be right with God. Are you following Him? Do you believe in Him so much that it has radically changed your life in the wake of that revelation, that reality. That you looked at Jesus Christ and saw him for exactly who he is and you have now believed upon him and received him as your Lord and Savior. If you haven't, you are still apart from him. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian like standing in a garage makes you a car. It doesn't matter what you do. It all matters of what he did for you and understanding the repercussions of that. For the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. This was the payment. This was the cost and the reality of the ransom. This was what was due, life for death. And now we can change from death to life in Him. I like what William MacDonald said. He gave His life a ransom for many. His death satisfied all of God's righteous demands against sin. It was sufficient to put away all the sins of the world, but it is effective only for those who accept Him as Lord and Savior. And the question is, have you done it? Throughout the life of Christ, he occupied and fulfilled certain appointments without the course of his life. When people say, why did Jesus come? I tell them this. Jesus came at the exact appointed time when he did because that's what God had promised would happen. He came at the exact appointed time and was born in a manger in Bethlehem. 
At an exact appointed time, he was crucified at the cross of Calvary. At an exact appointed time, he rose again from the dead. At an exact appointed time, he will come again to this earth. God keeps his appointments and demonstrates his faithfulness through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That's what this day is all about. And when we talk about it being finished, let us remember that what he is saying, that the ransom has been paid. I have now satisfied the requirements of God the Father so that these people who put their faith and trust in me, who believe in me, can now have everlasting life through me. That's what he's saying. And it's an incredible life. It's not an easy life. I'm not promising you that everything is going to be perfect the moment you come to Christ. I'm not saying that. What I am telling you is that God is with you. And as God has settled his appointments throughout history and kept those appointments through his son Jesus Christ, tonight is your appointment with God. We have laid it out before you. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is one of the most historically proven events in history. Do you know what it's second to only? The resurrection, which we'll talk about on Sunday. But we can't have the resurrection until we have the death. And I'm very concerned that many, as we have been sharing and talking about in church, many believe that they are right with God, but in actuality they're not. They're playing games with God. God knows your heart, and please, I'm not judging anybody. I'm no better than anyone in this room. But I will tell you that God knows exactly where you are with Him. He knows if you're being real with him or playing games. He knows what goes on behind closed doors. He knows what you're thinking and where your heart is. But one who truly believes in Christ and has experienced that new life for themselves cannot deny that event. They may try to suppress it at moments when it's not convenient for them, but they cannot deny it. And they have to come to grips with it. And they have to understand that they are no longer the same person that they were. One who truly believes in Jesus Christ, there will be evident within that person's life of that salvation that they have received. That's what we are calling you to today. On this day, in the light of who we have just discovered our Savior is, and the 75 titles that were needed to just begin to explain him to us. 75 names. 75 titles. And you know what? That's still insufficient for all that he is. And he came. He came out of heaven. He was born in a manger in the most humble fashion possible. He walked with people for 33 years, and in the last three years of his life, he fed the hungry. He caused the blind to see, the lame to walk, the mute to hear. He called those who were dead back to life. Miracle after miracle, he fed the 5,000, the 4,000. He calmed the storm He walked on the water. 
He died and was laid in a grave. Innocent. He stood there quietly as the cheers and the call for Barabbas to be released was being chanted by all of those in whom just a week earlier embraced him as Hosanna. He did not say a word. He was led and then thrashed 39 times by a cat of nine tails and ridiculed by a purple horse blanket being put around him as his robe as a king and a crown of thorn upon his head. They put a bag over his head. They hit him and smited him and they ripped out his beard just to spite him. And as a lamb bringing forth to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. He was silent before the shears. Brutally beaten and carrying his cross down the Via Della Rosa, he tripped and fell because the wounds of his back were gaping. And the weight of the cross was too much for him at that moment, and a man was asked to carry his cross alongside of Jesus till that very end. And then hung between two thieves. And at that moment that he was being hung between two thieves, one of the thieves cried out in a last-minute moment of desperation and repentance, please remember me when you get into your kingdom. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. This is our Jesus. Even at that moment that he was in such anguish and agony and pain and suffering, he forgave the guy next to him. He forgave those who were hammering the nails within his hands and within his feet and said, Father, they don't know what they do. And he hung there. What do we do in the light of that? 2,000 years later, this event is remembered by billions across the world. In every attempt to suppress Christianity, Christianity only grows even further. This is a man who never traveled 100 miles from his hometown, and yet he is being remembered today, one act, and he was no mere martyr for all of those who stood around, who were inquiring of his actions and deeds, knew he was innocent of anything. He was paying a ransom. And at that moment that those nails began to pierce his hands, he had you in mind. And at that moment the nail went through his foot, he had you in mind. He had me in mind. And he had each and every one of us in mind who would come and cry out in that moment of desperation and needing to be alleviated of the weight of the guilt of sin and the emptiness that it has created and the loneliness that it has produced within us. And when we say, Jesus, saved us, save us, he can now say, yes, I can. That's our Lord. Today's your appointment with him.